We are so blessed to have the living Word of God revealed to us uh, in our Bibles. And today, we are going to look at Luke chapter 8, or chapter 8 verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. We are so blessed to have the... We are so blessed to have the come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have blessed us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have given us life in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have given us every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for the way in which you care for your people, the way in which you provide for your people. And so now as we bring our tithes, our gifts, and our offerings, we simply return to you what you have first given to us. And we ask that you would use it for your glory in this world, in order that these gifts, these tithes, these offerings would be used to advance your kingdom upon this earth, in order that the wonder, wonderful gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we prepare now to come before your word, we pray that this same gospel that we hope and pray would go out into all the world, we pray that it would fall upon our hearts this morning. As we come into this room this morning, we all come from a variety of different places. Some of us feeling the brokenness of this world pressing in upon us. Some of us discouraged, some of us heavily burdened, some excited to be among your people, and yet some anxious and some full of doubts and skeptical of the truth of your word. But Father, we pray that however we come this morning individually, that you would help us this morning to see that we really are all the same despite the symptoms because we are all alike, far more broken than we know, far more broken than we could even imagine. And so we all, each of us, desperately need the same thing. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know and be reminded that because of His person and work, though we are far more broken than we know and can even imagine, because of Him, we are also far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. And so we pray that this morning as we look into Your Word, You would help us to see with the eyes of faith our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we are uh, continuing our series through the parables uh, of Jesus as they're found in uh, the Gospel of Luke. And we're picking up our series here. I've been gone for two weeks, uh, but we're picking it up. And by the way, it's good to see you again. Um, Been gone for two weeks. But 
We're picking it up in Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 16 through 18 that we read earlier in our service. Um, it talks about this light that's put on a stand, right? A light that reveals, a light that exposes, a light that divides, as your outline suggests. But the interesting thing about this particular parable, I think, is that it's very easy to make a, a mistake about it. And, and that is, and it's because of this, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells a, another story where he uses this same kind of image of a, a light and a, and a, or a lamp and a stand. Um, but it was actually a very different parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 5. The one in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is, is using that image to, of a light to talk about our missional purpose in the world, that we are to, to share this light of the gospel with others. But, but you see, here in Luke, Jesus used the image very differently. Um, listen, what came before this parable in Luke chapter 8, verse 16 through 18 that you have on your insert was another parable. Unfortunately, I couldn't print it all out for you. This is where we were two weeks ago, uh, the parable just before this one, which was the parable of the sower. And you remember this parable of the sower, right? It's a parable about the word being sown or the gospel being sown, this, the gospel seed being sown. And sometimes that seed, right, it fell upon the path and sometimes upon the rock and sometimes upon the thorns and sometimes upon the good soil. And you, if you remember, if you happen to be here that week, you remember that in that story, J- Jesus was emphasizing your need and mine to hear the word to hear the word in such a way that it doesn't just get down to the level of the path or the rocks or even down to the same level as the thorn, but that it gets all the way in deep into our hearts, that it penetrates us there in order to bear fruit there. And now what I'm saying is that those are the verses that come just before this. And now Jesus, he is still talking about the word And hearing the word in this parable, I mean, first he compared the word of the gospel to a seed and now he's comparing it to a light. Now, hold that thought just for a second. I've noticed that there are a lot of things in my life um, that I over time just start doing out of habit that become commonplace for me. I I don't even think about some of the things that I do. It it never registers uh, consciously in my mind anyway. Um, One example of this that happens to me all the time, every morning when I get up and I get in my car and I'm heading to work, I back my car down my driveway and I turn right to go to work. That's the direction of work. I do that every morning, right? And, um, and, and I'll notice this, like sometimes I'll be at home on a Saturday or something and I'll need to run an errand. And so I'll get in my car and I'll back down the driveway. And even though the errand that I have to run means that I should be turning left, I automatically turn right, right? It's just become so habitual, so instinctual, so commonplace, because that's what I do every day. I'm getting blank stares. I hope this, I'm not the only one this happens to, um, but maybe it is, um, you, you know, but, but that happens. So I end up having to drive around the block, get reoriented back on the, the right path. But here's another one, something I do instinctively out of habit without even thinking about it on those evenings that I come into my house and it's dark, right? I walk in, you know, I unlock the door, walk through the door and I don't, I don't think about it. Instinctively, I put my hand out like this. 
You know what I'm doing? And I start feeling on the wall. I'm looking for the light switch, right? And when I walk into, I walk into the, this dark house, I instinctively do, I just react. I need to find the light. I need to find the light in order to see. I just react. That's what we do with light. This parable that Jesus told about how Jesus' word or the gospel is light, right? All these verses, all these verses, verse 16, 17, and 18, all these verses have to do with your need and mine to see. He is driving this point home. I mean, even in verse 18, where Jesus said, take care then how you hear, it's translated like that for readability in English. Because the word there that's translated take care is really the word for see in the Greek. Jesus is saying, see then how you hear, look how you hear, pay attention to how you hear. He's saying, give your very best attention to the things that if you are not careful, will become commonplace and taken for granted in your life. And that's dangerous, dangerous stuff. Pay attention to the word, pay attention to the gospel that comes and shines and penetrates and shatters and dispels the darkness. Why? Because of these three things. Because this is a light that divides. This is a light, Jesus says, that exposes. And this is a light that reveals. Okay, so first I want us to notice in particular that this is a light that divides. And what I'm going to do this morning with this passage is I'm going to work through this pass through these verses backwards or in reverse. I'm, I'm going to start with verse 18. And I want to start here with the main thrust of application that Jesus gives us in these verses. Uh, what he tells us to do in these verses. Verse 18, take care, pay attention, see how you hear. Why? Why be so diligent? Why be so deliberate about hearing the word and paying attention to it? Because Jesus says, this is a light that divides. Look, I'll, I'll develop this idea more fully as we go. But the basic function of light, you know, when you come into that dark house and your hand hits the wall and you're searching for the light switch, the basic function of a light is to show you the way things really are. In my house, it's to show you where all the kids' shoes and toys are so you don't trip and break your neck when you come into the house, Right? It's, it's, it's the basic function of light is to present you with reality, right? Because look, what Jesus says in, in, in this verse, I, I want to tell you, I want to be upfront about it. He's presenting us with a very uncomfortable reality for many of us. Because he is saying there is no room for a position of neutrality before his word or his gospel. There are only two options, he is saying. Before this light, either more will be given or taken away. Pay attention to the light because it divides. Pay attention because how you hear will either lead to death or life. To, to the hardening of your heart or to the softening of your heart. Listen, we don't like to think about Jesus in these terms. That's why this is an uncomfortable reality for us. We don't like to think about him in terms so black and so white and so either, or so or, right? So divisive. But you read through the stories in the Gospels and you realize that Jesus himself was a divisive person, right? No one ever came into contact with Jesus and was just ambivalent to him, you know, or, or just unaffected by him. 
It's all very clear as you read through the stories. People either loved him or hated him. Right? People met him and either submitted to him or rejected him. They either wanted to crown him or to kill him. Right? When people met Jesus, he was a dividing point. Either hearts were melted or they were hardened in his presence. And see, you flip through the Gospels again, and you see that Jesus never hid this reality from us. I mean, he was, you just think, think through some of the stories that you might know. I mean, he was always talking about two kinds of trees, a barren tree and a tree that bears fruit. I mean, he was always talking about two houses, not three houses, a house that is built with a foundation and a house without a foundation. He was talking about two gates and two roads, right? And, and two ways and two destinations. There's not a third way, not a third gate. The position of neutrality is not left open to you. Jesus and his word is a dividing point. This light divides. You know, this cuts across the grain for us. And we bristle at this. We, we don't like this. It's uncomfortable for us because we want a, we really do want a less offensive third option, right, available to us. The option to like Jesus from a distance, you know, but never really have to submit to him. You know, we want to imagine a Jesus who he's certainly there when we need him. But he's not getting involved in our affairs when we don't want him to get involved in our affairs. We, we, we want to give him the stiff arm, keep him at a distance, be neutral to him. We want the option of being ambivalent and unaffected by Jesus and his word. We want to imagine that we can be neutral to Jesus, kind of hold him at this arm's length, right? And, and think he was a good example. He was a good teacher. But I don't want him really in interfering with my life. We want to be able to pull him off the shelf, right? When it's convenient and leave him there the rest of the time. We, want, we don't want a Jesus this extreme, this divisive, this black and white, this either or, so divisive. Pay very close attention to this light, to the gospel, because it divides. Because listen, you look at this verse. Assume that you can either take or leave Jesus and not either hate him or love him. And the end of verse 18. From the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus will not allow you to be neutral. He doesn't leave that option open. Probably one of the most famous quotes from the author C.S. Lewis comes when he wrote about the argument popularly known as the trilemma, right? C.S. Lewis wrote this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often, the foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic and on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, C.S. Lewis writes. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and worship him and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So writes C.S. Lewis. And you know what he's saying. He's saying everything that we've just been saying. Jesus is a dividing point. 
You can't be neutral. You can't keep him at arm's length. You're either loving him or hating him, loving him or leaving him. Do you see how Jesus is speaking about his word in the gospel? Are you catching the implication right now? Because this is not theoretical stuff. What we are saying is happening right now on October 27, 2013. As you hear the word, as you hear the gospel, as the light of the gospel shines. One of these two things are necessarily happening in your heart at this very moment. The light is shining and your heart is either hardening or softening at this moment. And there's Jesus' application. Pay attention. Take care. Look after how you are hearing this word right now. Either more will be given or what you think you have, even that will be taken away. Are you trying to stiff arm Jesus? Or can you say, I'm at times overwhelmed and uncomfortable with the claims of Jesus, but I'm willing to let him be who he is. Right? The the hymn, take my life and let it be. He's a dividing point. The gospel light divides. The second, let's look at, remember we're working through in reverse, but the middle verse, verse 17. Let's look here and talk more about the function of, of light. Remember what I said a moment ago about light showing us reality, right? It shows us the way things really are. And you think about it, this means that light, among other things, it exposes things that were once hidden in the dark. Verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. You know, out of college um, and and prior to being married, uh, I lived in Jackson, Mississippi, and I lived alone. I was a bachelor. And I lived in this little townhouse in this rough section of Jackson, Mississippi, and I hated that house. I mean, it was falling apart. It was dilapidated. The, you know, the guy I was renting it from, he didn't care about it. Um, but of all the things I hated about that little house, the, the thing I hated the most about it was coming home at night and turning the lights on. Because, you see, among other things that were wrong with that house, that house was infested with cockroaches. And ignorance would have just been bliss <laughs> to not know that they were there <laughs> or pretend that they weren't there. But the moment you came in and turned the lights on, those suckers, they scurried and they ran and they just, you could hear them like across the, the floor trying to get under the refrigerators. It was just bad. Um, but anyway, um, you know, here's what Jesus is saying that when the gospel light shines, the hidden cockroaches of your heart and mine are exposed. They're out in the open, right? When the gospel light shines forth, the secrets that you have tried to push down, that you have tried to forget, that you've tried to ignore, that you have tried to run from, the shame that you've been trying to escape, it's exposed in the light. You know, there's a story at the very beginning of the Bible. Many of us are familiar with it. Um, The story of Adam and Eve, right? And you remember what happened when they fell into sin? Immediately, we are told, they realized their nakedness, right? That they were exposed, that they were vulnerable, that they were wide open. And so what did they do? They grabbed a bunch of fig leaves and tried to cover their nakedness. 
Immediately they were hiding. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God come and walk among the garden, do you remember what they did? Like children, they ran into the bushes and into the trees. And they hid from the Lord God. And listen, what I'm saying to you this morning is that you and I, ever since that fall into sin, we have been scurrying and running and trying to hide. We, we are trying to hide, and not just from God. We hide from one another, and we even hide from ourselves. So shameful are the things we know about ourselves. And do you know what's so hard about this? I mean, what is so terribly hard about this? It, it, we are so very, very deeply conflicted as human beings. Because you see, we don't want to hide. We want to be known, right? How, how many articles could you find if you went home and, and Googled, you know, you know, some of the, you know, being yourself, finding the freedom to be who you really are, you know, accepting yourself and being the real you and on and on. Thousands, millions of articles like that out there. See, on the one hand, we don't want to hide. We want to be known. We long for that kind of freedom to be who we are and to be known. But on the other hand, I'm telling you, there is almost nothing. In fact, I think there is nothing else that terrifies us more than being known. We want it, but it terrifies us, right? I'm willing to bet that more than a few of us felt a knot in our stomachs and a lump in our throats when we heard Jesus say this morning, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. And some of you started thinking through a catalog of things you have tried to keep hidden from your parents, from your friends, from your spouse, from yourself, from God, right? I mean, when the light of the gospel shines into your life, Jesus is saying it's going to shine and expose things you thought you had hidden from everyone, right? The petty jealousy, the irrational and dark fears, the bitterness, the lust, the greed, the false image of yourself that you've projected to everyone, right? The utterly self-centered, Desires of your heart, your heart that is so turned in and curved in on itself. Right? You and I, we desperately want to be known. But what terrifies us is the thought, is the thought that if someone saw us as we are, oh, the look on their face would be full of disgust. And we're terrified that if they saw us as we are, they would run and get as far away from us as they could possibly get. Let me tell you something that I really hate. I really hate paper cuts. Um, you're going to have to stay with me because I'm going to bring it back to this, um, even though you're like, what in the world? Um, but listen, paper cuts, they're terrible. Because, and this is why. Because you almost always get them on your fingers, Right? I mean, so you're reading a book and you turn the page and the fine, sharp edge of that page, it slides across your index finger or your thumb or something like that. And you feel that cut, you get the paper cut. And, you know, paper cuts aren't terrible. They're not terrible because you might bleed to death, right? I mean, they're they're the most shallow cut you could possibly get, right? Barely break the surface, hardly any blood at all, right? And I have never, I'm not saying that it hasn't happened, but I've never seen, it's not the pain that makes them terrible, I've never seen anybody cry over a paper cut. Um, but, but listen, 
what makes paper cuts terrible is that you get them on your fingers. And so every time you use your fingers, you're reminded that you have a paper cut. Because it stings a little and it gets aggravated. And every time you reach your hand into that bag of salty potato chips, you know, the salt gets in there and it stings and and you're reminded of that paper cut. And you got to wash your hands with soap and the soap gets in there and it stings. You had almost forgotten that it was there. And then it got in there and it burned. They're terrible because you almost forget you have one until you go to use your fingers, right? You see, we are so accustomed to hiding, so accustomed to rationalizing away and covering up and deflecting attention away from our brokenness and our shame. So adept at hiding from God, from others, and from ourselves. We're so good at it that at times we almost forget that it's there. And then God speaks. And then the gospel light shines, right? And you feel the prick, the burn, and the sting. You know when you hear him speak. You know when you hear about Jesus, this perfect man, you know that you are a shadow of what you were meant to be. That you have fallen short, that you have missed the mark, and it stings the gospel light. But listen, the gospel light, I'm telling you, it doesn't shine to break you. It doesn't come to break you. The gospel shines and exposes that you are already broken. That the wound is already there. That the cut is already there and open. It comes and it shows you the way things really are. And it's like salt in an open wound. Reminding you that you are torn. That you are fractured. That you are broken. You know, it's fascinating how this works. Um, i give you a little window into my life as a preacher. You know, some mornings I'll preach and then somebody will say to me after the service. Um, something like. Were you following me around last week? You know, were you looking in my window when my wife and I were fighting last night? Um, did you get, were you at that business meeting? Were, how did you get in my head? And I, I just, I am not a stalker. And, um, and I certainly can't read your mind. I, I want to tell you what's happening in that moment. What's happening in that moment is nothing that I am doing. It's what God is doing through his word. His light shines and reminds you of your brokenness, that you have fallen short. It gets in there and it stings and it burns, reminds you that you are not what you are meant to be. This is God at work through his word, the light of the gospel exposing us. Okay, now listen, let me tidy some things up as we head into our third point here. Now listen, if you're following me here, you might be thinking, okay, You know, this kind of makes sense, right? The gospel, the word divides. It doesn't leave open a third option. Um, Even like the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, right? He writes this, the word of God is living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates even even to dividing, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So you get it. The light divides. But then you get this too, right, in the second point. The gospel also comes and exposes your brokenness. Do you know the very next line of that verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? It's this. It says this. It, the word of God, judges the thoughts 
and hearts of the heart. It comes, it shines its light, and it divides, but it also exposes the shame that we try to run, run from and cover up. And listen, if you're getting all of that, you might at this very moment you know, be feeling a little bit discouraged um, because you're starting to feel a little bit naked, a little bit vulnerable, a little bit exposed. We want to be known, but nothing terrifies us more than to be left this open, this exposed. And I would just say, if you are feeling that, good, um, because now you're ready for verse 16. Um, the final point is this, that the gospel light comes And it's a light that reveals. Verse 16, Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And you get the word picture that he's creating here, right? It's a dark room. And if you light a lamp in a dark room, you don't just immediately take that light and cover it up and put it under a bed or put a jar over it so that the light can't be seen. No, he says you put it on a lamp. You lift it up so that it dispels the darkness, so that people can see, and so that people can come into the safety of the light. You see, because the dark is scary, you don't know what's out there, but with the light on the lampstand, it can be seen and there is safety. Because the only safe place is in the presence of a light that does reveal reality. Now, listen, Jesus is certainly implying here that the world is enshrouded in darkness. But he is saying that the word of God, the gospel, breaks into that darkness and shatters it. It comes and reveals reality in the midst of the darkness. And what is that reality that this light reveals? Listen to me. It's this, that though the light exposes your brokenness, you don't have to be afraid. Because the one who sees you as you are, not only did he not run away from you, but the one who sees you as you really are, the gospel says, he came running towards you in all of your brokenness, in all of your shame. The king himself came into this world to rescue his bride to take the things that cause you shame, to take the things that, cause, that make you want to hide and run for the trees and cover up. He came to take all of that upon himself and he so loved you that he was willing to die for all of those things in your life. Now listen, hopefully you're seeing that the news is getting a little bit better in this third point. It's the, things you most, the thing you most desperately and deeply crave to be known and loved and accepted and secure, they are yours because of what Jesus did for you. And that's what the light reveals and why you put it on a stand so that everyone can see and come into that safety. To be known and loved. To be known and accepted. To be known and forgiven. To be known and secure. But let me take this a step further. Because elsewhere in, John, in John's gospel, in chapter 10, Jesus doesn't just talk about a light. He says in that passage that he, in fact, is the light, right? He is the light lifted up on a stand, lifted up on a cross for you and for me. Give me just a minute here. 
What's really fascinating about that passage in John chapter 10 is that Jesus said what he said, I am the light of the world. He said what he said there on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And here's what they did at the Feast of Tabernacles, among other things. They took these four huge, enormous lamps and they placed them in the temple. Each of these lamps held 65 liters of oil. And they would light these lamps during the Feast of Tabernacles at the, at, at the temple. And the light was enough, the commentators tell you, or whatever the, whoever the authoritarians are on this kind of stuff. You know, they tell you it's enough light to illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. I mean, a pillar of fire and light at the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. And you know what those lamps symbolized? What that pillar of fire symbolized? It symbolized a period in the Old Testament. And some of you remember these stories. When Israel came out of their slavery in Exodus, God came down in visible form as a pillar of fire and led his people through the wilderness. Right? And then when they finally settled in the temple, that pillar of fire came and it went into the most holy place, the holy of holies in the temple, and it rested there in the temple. They had the visible presence of the glory of God in the midst of the people. They had it. They, every, every night they looked up, they saw that light shining at the temple. But you know what the saddest day in the, in, in the nation of Israel was? It was in Ezekiel chapter 10. And in it, we are, in that passage, we are told that this pillar of fire picked up and it left the temple and left the city. It, it, it says that the pillar left the temple and the glory of the Lord departed from Israel. Are you getting this? That's why they had to light these lamps, because God wasn't there. Because the glory of the Lord had departed. And it was on the last day of this feast when the lamps were put out, when they were extinguished, and then when all the sadness came flooding back home, a remembrance that the glory of the Lord had departed, that Jesus stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. Right? He was saying, I am God in the flesh. I am the glory of of the Lord standing in front of you. I am the deliverance of God for you. I am the light that pushes back the darkness. The p- Listen, the pillar of fire became a person. The metaphysical became physical, right? The ideal became real, right? The immortal became mortal. The omnipotent became flesh. The holy God became someone who in a moment was touchable. The holy God so transcendent and other became not only touchable, but he became killable. Right? The light of the world came to take the deep, deep darkness of our hearts and to die in our place, to completely cover our nakedness and our shame. I couldn't find the notes on this documentary I watched. This is 10 plus years ago. Um, but I remember enough of it to be able to tell you uh, a little bit of the story. Um, I watched this documentary. It, I don't know why I watched these things, but it was on, it was on shepherds in Scotland. Weird. Uh, but anyway, they're following around these shepherds. And in this one particular herd of sheep, there was a sickness that was causing many of the sheep to die in this shepherd's herd. Okay, it was something like mad cow disease for sheep. Um, and, and so they were dying. And 
And sometimes, um, well, basically, I want to tell you how these shepherds solved a particular problem that they had in their herd. Because, you see, sometimes a mother sheep in the herd would lose her little lamb to the sickness. The lamb would die. And, uh, and other times, oh, wait, mother sheep would lose it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, and then other times, there would be left a little orphaned lamb whose mother had died from this sickness. It gets hard to tell the story. Um, but at the same time, um, anyway, it was tragic, right? You got this mother without her lamb. Her lamb has died. This lamb, this orphaned lamb without its mother. But this lamb needs milk in order to survive and live and all these kind of things. And, you know, though it seemed tragic, it seemed like, well, fairly good providence because we just put this sheep together with this lamb and then they're okay. You know, this lamb can nurse and this, this mother sheep can, you know, she, she can have her own little lamb. But here, here's what happened. Every time this little orphaned lamb would come up to this sheep, this mother sheep, the sheep would would kick it away and would run it off, would not let it nurse. And, and so the shepherds explained that what was happening was when this little orphaned lamb came up to this mother sheep, immediately she recognized that it wasn't her lamb. She didn't, she didn't smell the scent of her lamb. And so she would run it off. So here's how the shepherds solved that particular problem. A little graphic, Sorry. They would cut off the skin of that dead orphaned lamb and they would place it on top of the, uh, uh, not the orphaned lamb, they would skin the dead lamb and, and wrap it around the orphaned lamb. And the next time that orphaned lamb came up to that mother sheep to nurse, it smelt the scent of her lamb. And it let it come all the way in to provide for it, to care for it, to nurse it. To give it life. All of us in this room deal with shame. The fear of coming into the light of of, of being known. But the light revealed. It says to you and me to put away our fears. And come as you are into the light. Because the omnipotent, the ideal, the metaphysical, the holy God himself came. And he died for you. And he covers your shame with his righteousness. Come all the way in through the blood of the lamb as you are. And you will be accepted. This light, it divides, it exposes, and it reveals in order that you might have your heart's greatest delight. That you as you are can both know and be known. That you can be known and unafraid because you are loved. Pay attention, Jesus says. Take care. See then how you hear. For to the one who has, even more will be given. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that though there are many times that I am unclear, we thank you that you, you are clear that your light is clear. We thank you that your light has come and shone into the darkness. We even thank you for the light that reveals who we really are. We don't like it, but it reveals that we are broken, that we are needy, that we are not what we were meant to be. We thank you because that sends us again to the light that reveals
to the light that reveals a Savior who came. The light of the world. Savior who came and was lifted up on the cross to die in our place in order that our unrighteousness might be covered with His righteousness so that we can know that no matter where we are in this life, if we are in Him, we are loved, we are secure, we are accepted, we are known and loved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.